senator, while insisting he was not intoxicated, could not explain his nudity. I'm not normally a praying man, but if you're up there, please save me, Superman! Let's face it, this is not the worst thing you've caught me doing. Hi, and welcome to the Crisis on Infinite Midlives podcast. I'm Rob. I'm Amanda. There is no way you are that actually <laughs> gleeful. We are recording this on Sunday morning after an evening of an afternoon and evening of heavy, heavy drinking. You you look you're gripping the microphone like it's the only thing keeping you upright. I had two bottles of wine and a shot of whiskey. Shut up. <laughs> and that's that's spectacular work. I, I respect what you've done. The the local constabulary won't, but can't stop my hands from shaking. Yeah, if we get pulled over on the way home. You're driving. Yeah, well, it won't matter. The stench in the car of booze and failure and desperation. Because we are not recording this at the Crisis on Infinite Midlife's home office. We're at our satellite office in central Massachusetts because we have guests today. Uh, Guest on a previous episode, uh, Trebuchet. Konnichiwa, bitches. (laughs) You're about as Japanese as I am. (laughs) You're the whitest human being I've ever seen. You know, with that bald, gleaming freaking head and vacant stare. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and also, Pixie Sticks is with us. Hello. So, and yeah, the the reason for all the revelry and heavy, heavy drinking and attendant recovery is last night was the premiere of Doctor Who. What, what series or season or whatever the eight. English call it, this is eight. That's the eight since the reboot. Yeah. Back in 2005. So it was the first one with uh, Peter Capaldi as the doctor. Um, is it called Deep Breath? Yes. Yeah, the energy just peeling off. <laughs> <He> was, <laughs> yes. Please, kill me. Sorry, you said Peter Capaldi, and I just wanted to end, end that statement with and his pointy, pointy eyebrows. Yes, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, there was a, a certain amount of excitement to, to go see it. Clearly, we made a, a night of it. Um, and this is a show where I'm sort of going to be on my heels because I like Doctor Who, but I don't have a long history with it. The first time I ever saw it was when Eccleston was the Doctor, and it was almost impossible to get here. Yes. So, because, yeah, the, the first time I ever saw Doctor Who, minus a few times in the 70s, we're flipping around on the big five channels that we had. Uh, Good five? Oh yeah, that's right. I was upstate New York for a while. I had it all. Jesus, but I had like three. Well, <laughs> you grew up in a shithole, but we'll discuss that some other point. But, but yeah, it's, it would show up on like PBS, and I had a, a buddy Jeff who was a huge fan and would try to get me into it, and I, it would come on, and it was shot on video with the worst special effects in the world. And his sidekick was a robot dog that. I guarantee our cat would jump and knock the lid off and uses a toilet. <laughs> and I just, I couldn't get into it. And I've tried watching older ones since then. I tried the other night because yeah. you said, oh, there's this particular one that has some companion, Leela, who kicks ass. And they would just cut from video to film. And the, the kicking ass was highly suspect. Yeah, rewatching that kind of ruined my childhood. Yeah, Leela <laughs> is, is not Jackie Chan. Leela is more early Captain Kirk. <laughs> Just sort of flailing and 
with terrible theme music in yeah, the background. Yeah, it was not good. It so was... yeah, the, the first time I ever watched a Doctor Who was when you got excited when it was coming back on the BBC, and there was absolutely no American distribution at that point. It, it wasn't even going to be... I don't think BBC America was a thing. And I think sci-fi wound up picking it up like eight or ten months later. And yeah, I wound up having to steal it off the internet. It's uh, What the hell am I looking for? Doctor Who? Oh, with the plastic space oh shit so it's, i started to get into it a little bit then now amanda you have a much longer history with the character and a different level of excitement over the show i blame my babysitter he got me into it yeah <laughs> you're really gonna have to expand on that no, my, my, my next door neighbor his, their youngest used to babysit us uh and he would when he would watch us he would put it on and I had not seen it before. And ironically, I didn't like watching Star Trek, like the old ones with my dad, because I thought this, the uh, the effects were cheesy. <laughs> and then it was just old. Yeah, but Doctor Who. But Doctor Who ass. somehow. <laughs> Never met a production value it could find. Never yeah. met a production value. <laughs> but yeah, I liked it. So uh, I don't know exactly why. I think I liked, I, I bought into Tom Baker. Okay, so we're talking what, early 80s here? Yeah, late okay. 70s, early 80s. Um and yeah, there's just something about the way Tom Baker portrayed the character that I was, um, I, I, I bought into it. I was willing to follow it despite the fact that I, I, I never bought into Sarah Jane. I thought she was useless. Um, <laughs> okay, I don't think I've seen an episode with Sarah Jane except for the one or two with Tennant. And and she aged well and became a more interesting individual in in her latter years. Um, but as a, as a companion, she was like, you know, girl hostage, more or less. Okay. <laughs> That's fair enough. Now, Trebuchet, Pixie Sticks, how did you guys get into it? Because I think Amanda and I were watching it earlier on, just surely by nature of we were stealing it off the internet before it even aired here. Well, I believe I started hearing about it on the intertubes and um, started being curious about it and then... You know, um, I think we were out with you guys one day and you happened to mention it. So I uh, inquired and um, I'm not really sure when we downloaded the first episode to watch through Netflix or whatever method we used. Um, but we started with Eccleston and uh, I think we skipped a few. Perhaps I'm not sure we watched all of those and then got into the tenant stuff. Yeah, pretty much. Um I think from a timing perspective, it wasn't until Smith was already in place that we actually right. started catching up on all that stuff. But we did, you know, typical Netflix binge, you know, in the course of a few weeks, we walked pretty much up to date as best we could um, and then been following since. But, you know, my, my history is kind of similar to Rob's, you know, back in the, in the 70s and 80s, you know, a little black and white television in the kitchen flipping around. Hey, look, PBS. Oh, that looks... Kind of weird. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're from the Star Wars generation. You, you can't watch Star Wars when you're six years old. Even Space 1999 I liked because it looked modern. And that that was a straight to syndication piece of shit. I've tried watching it since. That doesn't <laughs> hold up. If you can't even reach the level of Space 1999, you're not going to hook in somebody who's seen Star Wars and the Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it took hitting the modern age for for it to even hit my radar and even then of of everyone in this room 
I like the show, but I like it on an episode by episode kind of basis. It, it, it I, I sort of like the overarching epic stuff. The individual stories just don't seem to stick to my head. It's as a comic fan, I'm I'm huge into continuity, but the continuity on on Doctor Who just doesn't seem to stick when. Yeah, in last night's episode, Madame Vastra showed up. I'm like, is this somebody new? Have we seen her? Oh, yeah, she was in a whole bunch of episodes last season. Well, all right, I watched them and I liked them, but... You also watched them drunk, let's be fair. I was going to say, you're probably blacked out. Yeah, I don't think I've seen a single episode of Doctor Who, even remotely sober, where comic books sort of get my attention that way. That is also one of the challenges with this particular show, is that it's time travel, so retcon is, you know... Yeah. Uh, oh, an episode by episode thing. God help us if Brian Michael Bendis ever gets his hands on this. Well, <laughs> well, it will be episodes after episodes of people just standing around the Talking. TARDIS control, <laughs> shooting the shit back and forth, and stuttering. And but or Michael Bay. <laughs> Can you oh. imagine if they Americanized this thing? They tried that once. It was horrible. It well, was it was on Fox. It was a it was a made for TV movie with Peter uh, McGann, Paul McGann. Paul McGann. That's right. It was horrible. <laughs> I understand he later redeemed himself by doing a, a, a large number of uh, Doctor Who radio plays for the BBC and, and has since become cool and accepted, but that movie was a pile of shit. Didn't when the best thing about your movie is Eric Roberts. Nice. <laughs> now, he, he was the one... <laughs> You're making Eric Roberts sad. Nice. <laughs> Eric Roberts makes Eric Roberts sad. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Now, wasn't McGann the one who turned into John Hurt in the prequel yes. stuff back before the time yeah. of the Doctor. Yeah, I was going to say, that, didn't they do a whole bunch of internet shorts yep. with him, or, or at least three or four? Yeah, he's he's been embraced after the fact, but when that movie came out, that was the first time I in a very long time that I was about as angry about something related to a thing I liked since I was like eight and watched Empire Strikes Back and left the theater angry. Well, <laughs> he got bucknered. <laughs> he, nice. he, you know, we're we're from Boston, 1986 Red Sox. Bill Buckner let the ball go between his legs, and he he couldn't walk down the street without getting hit with a bottle or something. But yeah, but it was the first time it, they they tried to Americanize it, and they they tried to give him a girlfriend or a love interest. And uh, as someone who grew up watching old Who, that that crap never happened. <laughs> um, and it, I I just recoiled like, no, no, he's he's asexual. Stop this. <laughs> Well, it, but yeah. that's all they've done with New Who now, which is funny because they, we were watching Day of the Doctor and they kind of you know nod at that, um, and they're they're making a point, jumping ahead, spoilers with the new one with uh, Capaldi. There, there's going to be no flirting, thank God. <laughs> yeah, we should probably say this thing is going to be spoiler tastic when we get to the point of actually talking about the episode. But yeah, um, but yeah, it just that was a pile of shit movie. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, and, and part of the problem with why I, I like the show, but am not rabid about it the way a lot of people are, is even though I like things with a lot of continuity, the continuity of Doctor Who, like you said, based on being a time travel story and having, was it 40 years? What anniversary did they? 51 now. Yeah, yeah. 51 years of continuity that not only is hard to catch up on, but impossible because there's 10, 11 episodes that just don't fucking exist. Yeah. And it's, yeah, like I said, we tried to watch an old one the other, and the production values and the acting, it's just, no, it isn't working for me. So I'll never catch up on it. So I think I, it's one of those, and people complain about 
comic fans who are like this. You know, how could you just keep getting the book? I like the character. Yeah, give yeah. me the story. Yep, I enjoyed that. I had a few beers watching it, and I can, you know, now I can move on. But I'll, I'll subject you to the movie at some point. I believe it's on Netflix. Why don't you just use a fucking gun? I don't, <laughs> I don't need this kind of punishment. Jesus. Nice. So I mean, we all came into it with sort of different expectations and needs from it. So I, I enjoyed last night's episode. Uh, how did it just sort of generally work for you guys? I thought it was pretty good. I, I, I was a little irritated by, uh, how do I want to put it, the the clumsiness, the the confusion, the uh, Alzheimer's, whatever you want to call it, <laughs> that Capaldi had for the first three quarters of the episode. I, I get the whole transition thing, and it's a big process, but they really seem to drag that one on. Um, I agree. That irritated me as well. I Yeah, I expected it. I knew it was coming. But I was ready for it to be over probably about um, halfway through before it actually ended. I felt like they spent more of the episode trying to convince us it was okay that Capaldi was the doctor now. Like, because we're supposed to be seeing it through the eyes of Clara, who's all, I don't know, why is my doctor old? And I'm I'm thinking about um, a local high school that recently formed a Doctor Who fan club specifically because they are all Matt Smith fangirls, and they they just would gather every Tuesday to talk about how awesome he was, and they're just going to need therapy now. Like, they they wrote this for them. Well, and that's something this episode really had to hit because this is the first regeneration since Doctor Who became really an international phenomenon you know the the first two or three years that it managed to be big enough to hit Comic-Con was with Matt Smith so it is a big transition to go to an older dude so they sort of I recognize they had to address that but yeah I mean did they have to address it with making a making him a gimpy spaz, screaming at the homeless. You know, I, I see him confused in his underpants, screaming at a homeless guy in an alley. I'm like, am I the doctor? Is it my turn? Yeah, he, they wrote this for you. But I mean, did they have to do that? Because looking back just on the things I've seen, we were dropped straight into it with Eccleston. Yep. I don't remember how much of the transition, clearly we had to deal with the transition with Tennant, but we didn't see much of it really with... Uh, Smith, he just sort of showed up in the TARDIS at Amy, young Amy Pond's door. He was already the doctor. And that's not creepy at all. Yeah, yeah so a nice. lot of the... So really, <laughs> even just in nine years and four regenerations, we've really only had to see it happen in real time once. And I, like I said, I see these on an episode-by-episode episode basis. I don't... How did they handle it with Tennant? Well, that's the whole thing. When... When Tennant first showed up, he was still wearing Eccleston's jacket, coming out of the TARDIS with a little swagger. It lasted like five minutes, and then it was, okay, now this is a new version. And the same thing when um, when Smith showed up in Amy Pond's backyard. He stepped out, and he was a little like, oh, look, hands, and you know all this kind of stuff like that. But then we were over it. And well, I think no, they, they have that point. whole extended montage of, of him like trying to figure out what he likes, and that's where you get fish, yes. fish, right. fish sticks fish and, and custard, custard yeah. and Fezes and bow ties, God help us. <laughs> <laughs> but they're cool. But to but to Amanda's point, there, you know, they seem really worried that the audience isn't going to accept an older doctor, you know, or a more <coughs> more serious doctor, or whatever. Felt I mean, a little meta. 
Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's just like, okay, we get it. Move on. You know, because as soon it, what was interesting to me is the first scene where I said, okay, now here's the actual character we're going to be dealing with. It was more than three quarters of the way through the episode where he goes up um, in the restaurant and he's sitting there with the, you know, the android and says, come have a drink. Okay, so this is, a, this is the character we're going to be dealing with now. For the past 65 minutes, it's been, you know, goofy old man, you know, yeah, stealing I, homeless clothes. I felt like with the, with the transition to Tenant, it was almost like there was a tiredness there. Like he was wiped out from the transition. Yeah. That they, you know, he had to rest. And, you know, and then, as you said, with uh, Smith, there was the montage of figuring out what he likes, what he, who he wants to be. With uh, Capaldi, it was almost like he just lost his entire mind and didn't know, it, you know, yeah, amnesia. Like, he didn't know what had just happened to him. Yeah. And that was a little bit bizarre. I wonder, since we've had this transition, every regeneration since Eccleston, a younger dude and a younger dude, I don't know how uh, Gallifreyan biology works, but if you transition to younger do the cells sort themselves out sooner so you have less of this odd behavior? And if you decide to regenerate older, because again, rewatching this whole day of the doctor thing where John Hurt's like, when do I become a toddler? <laughs> um, yeah, it feels like Smith at least subconsciously made the decision to regenerate older in light of his interaction with the war doctor, perhaps. Um, and if that happens, you know, do the cells not snap back as quickly? Who knows? Well, uh, you would know better than we would because he regenerated as older dudes not earlier. Always. No, because John Pertwee physically looked older than Baker. And then um, Peter Davidson, uh, Davison is younger seeming than Baker. And then Colin Baker, <laughs> who's Tom Baker's brother, younger still and then sylvester mccoy somewhat older but i don't remember that regeneration so i don't know if there was a similar i don't i don't think they cared so much honestly i feel like in other iterations it was they would walk off screen they would come back they will have regenerated and we move on with our lives <laughs> yeah it was it used to be very much a new york yankee you know, billy you're fired bring in Lou. yeah <laughs> just bring in the new guy but uh, with with going with the older doctor, because yeah, we were just sort of rewatching. Was it time of the doctor, day of the doctor? It's like day I, of the doctor. Like I said, when it comes to continuity, I can't keep track half the time. But so yeah, spoilers if nobody's seen that. He overcomes the destruction of Gallifrey, which has been a major character motivation since the reboot. It, it seems interesting to me, and I, I realize some of them have lost their memory. But didn't Smith keep it of of having done this? It seems interesting. It's like, okay, I've overcome this great guilt that has driven me to... You know. He he buried it. He's he's uh, the doctor that's all about repression. <laughs> okay, it just it, it seemed like an odd choice. Right from the beginning, is okay, you've overcome all your guilt, and now you're be- going to become a crotchety old fuck who no, says what they, into darkness in all the ads. What they pointed out was um, Eccleston's character was, was bitter and driven by being, as far as he could tell, the last of his kind. Um, Tennant wanted to be a hero to make up for it, but still was bitter about it. He he was the one who knew exactly how many kids he killed on Gallifrey, and then okay, and then Smith, four hundred years later, seeming um, makes the point of saying he doesn't know um, and has gone out of his way to forget. Okay, 
and uh, now Capaldi uh, drinks. So, <laughs> <laughs> I did like that. That was a. Uh, I think I'm just going back through the notes. I drunkenly tried to to take through this. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, when he said it. I have a feeling I'm gonna have to kill you. Uh, I thought you might like a drink first. Yeah, as an American who likes those. <laughs> Hard drinking, ass kicking heroes. It's a first. Time. Okay, yep, that's a doctor I can get behind. So yeah, I mean that yeah. that was a cool moment, and yeah, one of the first times. It's like okay, I can get behind this guy. Yeah, I thought overall, particularly at the beginning, this episode was fucking all over the place. It's start with a dinosaur, and okay, and then there's these two aliens whose names I clearly couldn't remember, and the doctor running around like a spaz, and then there's clockwork people. It felt like they tried to cram a lot of shit into it. Well, they, they were trying very hard, in my opinion, to make this particular doctor seem as though he relates purposefully less well to humans and more to other forms of life. Like he, the, the scene on the rooftop where he's trying with sign language to explain to the T-Rex that he's going to save her and, and it's going to be okay right before she gets you know, lit up in flames. Um, <laughs> that and, was... That was an interesting moment. <laughs> and then later on with the horse that he, he liberates from the carriage that he can ride the horse. He, he talks to the horse. <laughs> <laughs> Forward! I, I talk to horses all the time. They're mounted police. I just don't want to talk to the cop. But it was it, they went out of their way, it felt like, to make him seem uh, more alien. Which, in my mind, isn't the worst thing. Because the vibe you always got off of Tom Baker's. And uh, there have been some comparisons in terms of Capaldi's performance um, to Baker um, and Pertwee, possibly because he's older, but just in terms of the standoffishness. You and I were talking about this a little bit before. The one thing about being the doctor and being part of a a British national treasure television series, as it were, there's a a sense, particularly in the old who, of um, very much it's still the British Empire and we're we're the best because we're British. So you have to be that much more commanding in a way to be around them. No, screw you, British person. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in charge. <laughs> yeah, how'd that work out? 1942. <laughs> um, well, yeah, I mean, it was. This is you know in in like the early 80s, so they're still behaving this way. And by Falcons. Um, so, <laughs> um, but Capaldi's kind of bringing it back to no, I am not of you. I am. I am different. I'm not human. I'm. Well, and I, I like the overall idea of an older doctor who's more no-nonsense and, yeah, not constantly flirting with, you know, at this point we've had a blonde, a redhead, a brunette. It just, yeah, the whole sexual tension with the doctor doesn't really work for me. The, although They had know, to pull up short before they got to, like, a, a green alien sleeve girl. Well, yeah, and I would like the, you know... The question of two wangs answered the same as every other. No, no. Weird. No. I bet you do. (laughs) That's what slash fic is for. Yeah, and and I I don't think I'll actually go there. I don't really (laughs) want it answered, but uh, the the doctor has been. They say your first doctor is your doctor, so even though I'm not hugely hooked into the show, my doctor is Eccleston, who was kind of no nonsense, and you got the sense that he could just sort of fuck you up if he wanted to got a lot less of that with Tennant uh and particularly Smith they, both of them seem kind of twee and 
if, if I have to hear the fucking phrase timey-wimey one more <laughs> goddamn time in my life, I might go berserk. Which they also addressed in Day of the Doctor, and must you always talk like toddlers? Yeah. <laughs> so the idea of a, a more grown-up who could potentially become violent. This is a guy who, at least somewhere in his subconscious, yeah, he made the decision to destroy Gallifrey you know, for the greater good. You know, one moment I liked in last night's episode was really the question, did the doctor push the android or did he jump? And I'm not sure. I, As a bloodthirsty American, I like the idea of a doctor who'll just chuck somebody out of a moving TARDIS. I don't know. What do you guys think? The characterization to me is still up in the air enough. It could go either way. What do you think he did? More importantly, what do you want him to have done? Well, that's that's the thing. You know, you want you want the action, you want the other stuff, but at the same time, it it, it, that's not the character, and the character's always been uh, practically pacifist, with the exception of you know blowing up an entire species. Yeah. <laughs> Which they have now since retconned and it lives in a pocket universe somewhere. Right. So, I, I mean, you know, I, I don't like the idea of kind of Americanizing it and turning him into, you know, Chuck Norris. But, <laughs> yeah, Chuck Norris, the doctor. Chuck Norris's <laughs> tears can heal I think, the, the lame. <laughs> I, I, th- I think I think doc- the doctor, Chuck Norris as the doctor produced by Michael Bay <laughs> Uh, I'm the doctor. Coming Doc- to Fox. Exactly. <laughs> doctor Who, the doctor who's kicking your taint. <laughs> wow. I think that um, I like the idea of there perhaps being the implication there. Not that he pushed him, but that, you know, if it would come to it, that he would Might. do what needed to be done, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah, and even that's probably enough for me. Um, I very rarely got the sense that the the previous couple of doctors would even remotely do that so yeah the idea yeah. of a doctor who's potentially very dangerous you know you'd get tenants saying you know i'm dangerous they they would imply it but you you can't picture that's why they brought in john hurt who who can yeah. picture david tennant or matt smith <laughs> gravely destroying a billion children <laughs> i can't picture matt smith as a carnivore for christ's sake i guarantee he eats tofu (laughs) that's just not nice i know it's one of the worst (laughs) things i can say but i'm sure he's a very nice gentleman but his his doctor was always sort of eh to me yeah it's hard to believe something is the oncoming storm that doesn't have eyebrows (laughs) hard to take seriously yeah but so yeah a, a doctor who's more potentially dangerous um and like i said that moment of i might have to kill you so that's a very American thing well, yeah, to do. Well, yeah, you're not going to – you really can't – you pay, uh, You see Matt Smith or even Tennant saying, I am the one who knocks. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can see Capaldi doing it. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, not, yeah. not Dr. those Dr. Heisenberg. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Mr. Heisenberg. <laughs> <laughs> I'm writing that one down. <laughs> <laughs> but – you know, you you can you can kind of picture that because because you're right. It it do, it's not an overt. I'm going to kick your ass. It's a, I I could kick your ass if I yeah. needed to. You know, we we could resort to that if right. we need to, which is interesting. Well, I, and one note I took during this was particularly toward the end when he started to become more obviously the doctor and have his shit together and yeah, not be screaming at the sky. I I got a real 
Batman family thing coming together. Because, yeah, with <laughs> Madame Vastra and Jenny and Strax, you know, all working at a single purpose, all with individual sets of talents, yeah, that just sort of tickled the comic book fan in me of, okay, is this a, a super team for a while? Well, Scooby gang. Uh, <laughs> less a Scooby gang, because uh, let's face it, uh, Xander really doesn't do very much. <laughs> But no, but they you know they're they're they've built them into you know the the possibility of recurring characters to be able to come back right. to and you know you know it's it's the same thing with you know all the other stuff that's gone along before you saw it at the end of uh Tenet's run we you know we're all the you know you had Harkness and and uh Jane um you know all those people back to do something and this yeah. is kind of the same thing they, this is they've got their own little core um and they keep bringing them back that's that's fine I'm good with that yeah, I miss Torchwood. Captain <laughs> Jack got the shaft most out of anybody when uh when Moffat took it over. Yeah. <laughs> and that's not a euphemism. <laughs> <laughs> Christ, I hope it's not, but. <laughs> but No, I'm 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 thinking it's going to be an I, I, what I'm really, you know, so the first episode was definitely a, kind of the setting setting the table. Way too much time getting there, but once they were there, the you know the, the third act was solid. I'm really more interested to see what happens in the next one. Yeah, you know when, when we're okay, we, we've accepted the fact that we're we're moving on from Matt Smith. And by the way, I did not need as a even a casual fan, I did not need to have Matt Smith call Clara. Yeah, I mean that yeah. was just about as ham-fisted as you can get. That was the low point of the episode for me. Yeah. It's okay, Matt Smith fan club. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah. You you can like Capaldi, really. Well, I mean, he may as well have just broken the fourth wall and said, "Yeah, it's okay. He's cool." Well, <laughs> it's and and we talked about this. It's it's a the first major transition for a lot of people who got into the show with Matt Smith, um, who've never seen a regeneration. It, it is a big risk. To do this, yeah. Now, I don't yeah. know if Matt Smith decided. You know, I, I someday would like my own uh, life. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to not, you know, go the George Reeves route. <laughs> but uh, where he kills himself? That was implied. God damn it! You're hungover. You're just <laughs> you're just a half step down today. I I might still be drunk. <laughs> nice. Well, share some of your blood for Christ's sake, because <laughs> I'm going to need it. But um, so it is a it is a major risk to to do this. Um, yeah, particularly such a big transition. I I give Moffat credit for the balls to say, yeah, all right, we're going to go in a whole different direction. Uh, at, at least for the medium fan, the you know, ooh, yeah, Matt Smith is dreamy, like Trebuchet. Yeah, <laughs> you've got the posters. I've seen them. Yeah, they're all stuck to the wall with no thumbtacks. But excuse but it, me, I gotta go be sick. <laughs> but uh, so I can understand them doing that moment of oh let's bring Matt Smith in as one last nod to the the fans. But yeah, that was uh, that was really uh, that's when I'm like all right, is it time to go take a leak? I, I get what's going on here, and yes, let's explain to people it's the same guy even though it doesn't well, look like well, it. But that's what drives me crazy because you know it's funny we were watching this stuff and I was reminded you know they're rerunning some more stuff this morning kind of as we're talking about this we've got it on the background. But in in time of the doctor. You know, Clara was all like, oh, I don't know him anymore, and, and he changed, and all this stuff. Like, well, you've already fucking seen that. You saw three of them in one place at one time, one of them older than any of them. You've already got that in your head, and you said, why are you suddenly not accepting that that's 
the deal. Actually, yeah, now that you mention it, because right. isn't her whole history, she's spent her right. life yeah. meeting and saving all doctors. of the doctors. It's right. like, okay, well, I don't understand. So that's where it becomes an obvious analog for the fan, the you know, fanboys and girls who are all new to this. They just can't accept yeah. change. I yeah. mean, that, and it doesn't make sense in the big picture yeah. to me. Now that you mention it, it's, yeah, it's like somebody put in a Bible a show Bible somewhere that the companion is the viewer and therefore the companion has to ask the questions and have the emotions that the viewer will even when, yeah, that doesn't make any sense at all. Which is why I liked Leela because in my mind she Le- kicked ass. Leela was a spastic and the worst person in the world. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> well, even in the same episode last night you had two moments because early on you had um, Clara speaking with Madame Vestra and they had a whole discussion about it. Yep. And, you know, where Madame Vestra accused her of not being accepting and Claire was all, how dare you? And then later on at the end, it's almost like that conversation never happened when yeah. she gets this phone call. So, well, you can say you're accepting. You can say all the right things. But then when you get the phone call from your your boyfriend, <laughs> yeah, dead boyfriend. But but yeah, that was the whole. But that was again. You're right. That was the whole point of that conversation. Well, when did you take off the veil? Right. When you stop. Well, when did you stop wearing the veil? When you stopped seeing it. Okay. Well, then she, that means she would have accepted it because she stopped seeing the veil. Blah blah blah. Yeah. I mean, it was yeah. just ham handed. Yeah. Hammy whammy. Jesus, the more we talk about this, the less I like this fucking episode. <laughs> I'm going to need to watch it again, I, and not just because I was drinking, but I'm sorry, go ahead. <laughs> well, no, I, yeah, it's not that I disliked it, but I, I'm ready for it to move on and get into the season and get rolling and truly see who he is as the doctor. I agree. Yeah, I agree. Well, it's, and it, it reminds me of, of one line that, uh, that the doctor said in this, um, which and there were a few things in this episode before I get to that that seemed like yeah thinly veiled shots at fandom yeah um and I'm trying to remember them let me go back to my drunken notes that I can <laughs> you know barely you know put in barely read but um yeah I can't read them but all right so we'll just go straight to it that when uh when the doctor is talking to the android and trying to convince the android that his time has passed and it's okay to die. You know, he says, imagine a broom. Now, imagine a broom where you've replaced the handle. And now you've replaced the brushes. And you do that X number of times. Is it the same broom? And it's it struck me this morning. It's like that. You may as well have been talking about the show itself. You know, right. This show's called Doctor Who. It's got 50 years of history. Between companions and the doctor, the only thing this shares is the name in a blue box. Not even that for a few of the seasons. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. I can't make out any of your notes other than Matt Smith, fuck you. I don't know <laughs> what you meant to say there. Hey, that's a whole different <laughs> ink. And it's your handwriting. What the? Nice. We established nobody likes bow ties and fezes aren't cool. But. <laughs> um, Damn it. I got to go return some stuff. So, so, I mean, is this even the same show? It, it Can there be a Doctor Who fan? Who, who can stick through it the whole time. Even comic books don't just rip out the main character and drop in a new one for more than short periods of time. Well, I think it's it's like when we saw that panel at Comic-Con about Batman, and there's there's always like um, a decade or so where you hate the stories, <laughs> and that's not your Batman. Yeah. All right. I, I suppose I can see the analogy, even though it's still Bruce Wayne, and his parents were still yeah. 
shot in an alley by somebody. Sometimes that changes. But, but. you know, you know, if you're a Frank Miller Batman person, you're probably not a 60s Bat-Tusi. Oh, Christ, no. <laughs> Jesus <Yeah>. Christ, no. <laughs> That's just not right. <laughs> just because I have some of those issues doesn't mean I like them. <laughs> They're an investment. That's my retirement Matt Smith fund. Smith is the Bat-Tusi. But that's <laughs> nice. I'm writing that one down. I wouldn't go there, but uh, yeah. But, but I guess that is kind of the genius of, of the show. You know, you, you look at the history and it started off as this cute little, you know, child accessible show. But what's really stuck for the f- 51 years is just the, the premise. And as soon as they, they, the first time they said, you know what, we have to replace the, the lead actor, how do we do that? That regeneration, that little, little, you know, Nugget. problem solving, right? <laughs> that that is really kind of genius because from there, you've established a premise that can exist forever, right? You so you can re- replace the broom and the handle and the bright, you know, and all, and keep going as long as the the fandom has bought into the premise. You have to be, you if you're buying into that, you have to be accepting of the fact that yes. The the main characters are going to change. Period. Yeah, and I suppose it's a strong enough concept that it can carry it overall through the years. And yeah, the the Batman analogy you gave is probably the best one because yeah, I've been enjoying it for the last nine years, but I cannot watch the eighties. <laughs> yeah, the nineties, you're gonna have to buy me some serious whiskey to watch Eric Roberts. Who was Eric Roberts? He was the master. Yeah, okay. That's not he woke work up out. one day. He was he was a, a an everyday gork and then something happened. It involved a green glow and uh he woke up as the master. As one does. As one does. <laughs> I mean, when I wake up to a green glow, I'm <laughs> I'm calling a neurologist. <laughs> but, you know, super villain that could also work. But uh, yeah, I mean, the, the concept in and of itself can keep it going through, you know, this many years. Uh, yeah, I, I suppose that's going to be uh, the question with this one. It's really kind of a radical change, and it's going to change even more because didn't Jenna Coleman announce that she's leaving in yeah, December? Yeah, there's, there's been some internet chatter that she's leaving with the uh, Christmas episode. Yeah, so it's kind of fitting because she, didn't she come in yep. with a Christmas episode? Yep. So. Well, not Around officially. That. Well, officially, I guess yes, but yeah, she showed up in a salon of the Daleks um, as Osman Osgood. Daleks. Daleks. Whatever. <laughs> you filthy Australian fuck. Leche moi. Um, <laughs> milk you? <laughs> <What>? <laughs> the, uh, yeah, she showed up in an asylum with the Daleks. Happy. Um, which, Don't look at which, her. I'm the one who called which, you a No, which, which they retconned into the whole Clara goes back and, and interacts yeah. with all doctors and moves them on you know, that path. Um, but yeah, she jumped in. The the actual character we know jumped in at the Christmas episode, uh, the snowman with Madame Vastra and Jenny. Right, yes. exactly. Um, see, and you were sleeping or blacked out or Both. blacked out. Um, yeah, I I for one will be sad when she if she goes. That's me. <laughs> I'll only be sad if they manage to develop her character a little bit more before then, so that I actually care. Well, dudes and companions, particularly in the <laughs> last nine years, have whole different. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like I said, we, we've had a blonde, a redhead, and a brunette, and how you... And how Donna. Yeah, Donna doesn't really <laughs> register. Nobody wants to fuck Donna. I like Donna. I like Donna. <laughs> and yeah, that's no. the thing. It's a... Uh, yeah. And Martha. I like Martha. Yes. Yes, Martha. Martha was all right, too. So, but 
Yeah, all right. I don't want to go down that road. I, <laughs> I like redheads, so I liked Amy Pond. But yeah, the companions are damn near interchangeable in a lot of ways. Yeah, I like I liked Amy Pond as a com- as a companion and and as a as a character arc. Um, the growth that the, that character had was was good. I liked it. It was entertaining. I liked Rory. He was adorable. Whatever. Well, um, I mean that that particular arc. I mean, with Matt Smith, we met Amy Pond before Matt Smith. Her arc was. I think consciously as much about her as it was the doctor, which, you know, it was an interesting reversal. And, yeah. And for, for some who purists, it was irritating um, because they feel that the show should be about the doctor and not the companion and the whole companion as viewer analog. Look, I'm in there. Look, look, look how I'm progressing because I relate. And, well, uh, screw that. I want to know what the doctor's doing. <laughs> and and to play devil's advocate, that character arc was what blew Doctor Who up oh, around the world. I don't disagree. I just never bought into Amy. So, <laughs> Well, it, and it all depends on your point of view. She was introduced within that first episode wearing a stripper police outfit. It worked better for me than it would for you. <laughs> but... <laughs> Well, I also felt, and it's a whole. This is a whole separate rant that, with the introduction of her, particularly meeting the doctor as a child, and for a while that they, they had that god awful voiceover of, when I was a little girl, I met a boy, a man in a box, and we went on adventures. I'm not six. <laughs> I'm forty something years old. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but there was certainly a certain amount of appealing to teenage girls in in that particular arc and again whether you like it or not it it worked the the outcry that doctor who wasn't going to be at comic-con this year because people were so used to being able to get close to the doctor you know that was kind of a big deal this is true you know i don't think anybody was screaming over (laughs) i'd love to see the teenage girls who are swooning over peter capaldi (laughs) because trebuchet might have a shot (laughs) sweet (laughs) But you're uh, old and Scottish. You'll be fine. I, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Scottish by way of southeastern Massachusetts. <laughs> but uh, so that was the question I was going to ask before we tangented that tangented. That's not tangented. a verb. <laughs> but but uh, I mean, what do you want to see in a companion? And it's a little early to tell because Capaldi hasn't shown all his cards yet. But, you know, what do you think is going to work with this? Yeah, I agree with you, Donna, while not as memorable to dudes with red blood from America. (laughs) From a storytelling standpoint, she was, you know, in it for the adventure and smart and enthusiastic. And, yeah, it was was definitely a departure that worked, you know, particularly as a, and I don't want to reduce the character to a palate cleanser, but after... Uh, after Rose Tyler. After Rose and then Martha, whose arc started off as uh, maybe I'll get to be the girlfriend too and then never could quite measure up to Rose and that just right. seemed unnecessary. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I much, I liked, I liked Martha. I liked her the more that she moved away from, you know, her crush on the doctor. Yeah. The further away she got from that, the better I liked her. Yes. But then it was, you know, now we have Donna, who there's no chance in hell they're ever hooking up. <laughs> yeah. So it got to be about the story. Well, yeah. And uh, while it's been nice, you know, 
Christ, I'm coming off like the worst douchebag in the world here. It's been nice to have the eye candy over the years. I could do without the whole flirtatious, you know, oh, granted way under because of the kind of show it is, the will they or won't they kind of thing. Um, I don't know. I kind of want to see an American dude. Somebody who's really pushing the worst natures of the dog. Yeah, someone... Certainly, I don't want to see me on TV, but for someone who's like, yeah, give him a drink and then push him out of the fucking TARDIS and shoot him on the way down. I see the, the doctor and Doug Stanhope. <laughs> 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 yeah, kick him in the ass. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't give him that drink. Give me that drink and I'll push him out of the fucking TARDIS. <laughs> you know where that screwdriver will fit, doctor? <laughs> nice. But I don't know. What do you guys want to see? Even... Regardless of Capaldi, what do you want to see in a companion? If you can think of one that'll work with this crotchety old, potentially violent douchebag, I'm I'm for that too. Well, they're they're introducing another uh, a guy, yes, um, next week. Um, so I think we're probably gonna end up with a little bit of that Murray Amy kind of thing. Or now Mickey that, Rose, uh, yeah. yeah, Mickey, yeah. Um, I'd actually prefer to see more Mickey than Rory. Um, but well, Rory was kind of a simp. Uh, he he did okay, but uh, his biggest story arc was, "Yep, I'm gonna sit here for a thousand years, two thousand, right. yeah, yeah, two thousand years, and and wait for the girl." Yeah, and then she's gonna dump me anyway. Yeah. Um, you can't get much more passive than, "Yep, I'm sitting." <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, they're gonna introduce the character, so it'll be interesting. They're definitely taking the focus off the the sexual tension, as it were, between the companion of the doctor by introducing that second character, which is, I think a lot of what, um, Rory was supposed to do, but you always had that underlying feeling in there that, you know, she ditched Rory. Right. You know, she especially was through, yeah. yeah, she was settling, especially yeah. through the first three quarters right. of the arc. Well, well, the and end, especially was... after we saw Rose ditch Mickey. True. Yeah. You and know, they had a, there was a precedent. In one of Amy's first defining acts is that she tries to hook up with the doctor and is willing to run off with him on her wedding night. Right. Right. <laughs> well, yeah. th- look, this is a science fiction genre show. One pisses off the shippers at one's peril. <laughs> nice. You've always got to sort of leave that thing open. If if there's if there's a shipper's tale to be told, it, it needs to be open. Well, and also um, the the web series Pond Life, they're they're about to get a divorce because without the doctor in their lives, they they can't hold together. So how how well was that marriage ever going to hold together had the doctor not been in her life? Not to mention how much more awkward the whole thing became when River, her mother, married <laughs> him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. But now they can have a long and fulfilling life. Going, remember the internet? That was cool. We're gonna die before the internet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, now Rory has to jack off to his imagination like some common sucker. <laughs> That's the only way they could hold their marriage together is to drop them in a time when it was harder to get divorced. <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't thought of that, but... <laughs> My husband is addicted to his imagination. <laughs> so, yeah, well, death till you part, so... <laughs> How far back did they go? Was it the 1910s? Uh, no, no, it was... No. I think it was the 20s. Yeah. yeah. Oh, the, yeah, that's much better. Uh, <laughs> a little less depression. 
uh, all right. It, it was roaring, I hear. <laughs> Rory in the roaring 20s. Yeah, somebody's really There's fucking with my there. head. No, there is not a show there. <laughs> the Rory's moping at home while, <laughs> while Amy becomes a flapper and drinks bathtub gin and takes on all comers. <laughs> that <laughs> I would watch. She writes a book. That's yeah. how bored she is. She writes a book. Yeah, true. The, but, yeah, you'll never see it. There's no internet to put it on. So, <laughs> All right, so... Uh, the ending. What do you think this Missy person is? And the the problem is that we should not have watched the post game because it planted ideas in my head. Plus, I don't think I can watch Chris Hardwick do another fucking post show of anything. But <laughs> he means well. Nice. He tries real hard. He's he's met four doctors. I know, and he stopped drinking, which means more booze for us. So yeah. I'm I'm <laughs> pleased about that. But nice. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not I'm not really sure what to make of that. Um, like I said, the the, the post game show did definitely planted a couple of ideas, but none of which I had gotten to on my own. Um, I'm I'm kind of hoping it's something new. Yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm really kind of hoping they're not just going back to the bag and saying, you know, you know, one of the ideas that was positive is, oh, this is she's the new master. Yeah. Okay, great. That's nice. So we are Borg. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and uh, another idea that was posited on that was it's the TARDIS, but frankly, I saw it. I don't buy that. Yeah a, yeah, a sentient room that's bigger on the inside in X-Men with danger. The danger room's <laughs> walking around, so I've seen that. <laughs> you know, Costume-wise, it seems to be all over the place. It was Victorian dress, but she had a punk rock spiky bracelet. bracelet I'm not yeah. sure what to take from that. I don't know. I... I initially blurted out the Ronnie, and everybody said, who? Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, my my thought there, the, the Ronnie is a female Time Lord, um, and she was she was a big bad back in old Who. Um, the, the possibility for that, for me, is since they've now undeaded Gallifrey, um, <laughs> now you have the possibility of other characters coming back that were Escape, part of that. Yeah. Escaped the pocket universe yeah. or whatever yeah. it was called, and... Running around the other, what was the other one that was um, that it was somehow river? <laughs> uh, no. Yeah, except but. that she would have said my husband, and this one said right. my boyfriend. Yeah. Well, that's the whole timey wimey thing. I'll kill you. <laughs> I will destroy you. But th- it also- could have been river before when she was still the weapon. Before she was. Well, actually, no. I think they've already determined that she was her friend Mel. Yeah, Amy's friend Mel, or up until she changed into the Alex Kingston version, right? Mm-hmm. Something so, like that. So, well, <laughs> not, not that they couldn't possibly yeah. retcon it, because that's you know what they do. Um, but I don't know. It, I'm, I like your idea though. That, that, that's interesting. Well, it, it does open a lot more stuff because, yeah, I, I am kind of tired of seeing the goddamn Daleks and Cybermen over and over and over again. But we will see them again. I know. Yeah. I've seen have. some of the stuff that the Cybermen are, are coming back on this. but The Cyber outfits now look a lot more like Iron Man based on what they've put online. Yeah, well, <laughs> if you're going to steal <laughs> steal from success, I guess. But, so, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm excited to see more, but, it, again, only as excited as I, as I ever am for these i mean uh, i like them i watch them on an individual episode by episode basis and tend to be more cognizant of the wider arcs that go through but uh, yeah from a a one and done standpoint it's yeah i sit down with my beer and i'm like i enjoy this character yep this is an interesting story and then it just sort of flies out of my head so it's i'm really at a disadvantage on this (laughs) show 
That's okay. That's why you have us. The, we're uh, your Scooby gang. Oh, Jesus. No, <laughs> no, we're not. I was hoping for a Batman family. I got a Scooby gang. <laughs> no, you have a collection of people who will be more than willing to pull the plug when the time comes. That's fine. Shut up, just, Xander. <laughs> just, just, Ow, my eye. <laughs> just give me a drink before you kill me if you have to. That's all I ask. Have the common decency of that old bastard with the weird eyebrows. <laughs> All right, any other final thoughts on Doctor Who? Otherwise, we'll talk about a couple comics. Yep. Yep. All right. <laughs> All right, so yeah, speaking of Scooby gangs, because, yeah, segues really are the finest portion of this program. <laughs> uh, yep, first, uh, first book, uh, talk about uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer Season 10, uh, Issue 6, which caught our eye because it was uh, one of the rare one and dones although it looks like it's going into an arc of an overall theme maybe uh written by Christos Gage uh art by uh Carl Moline and crap where's the book is a uh, Cliff Richards is the other one yes other artist yeah so it's an- another issue with two artists on a single book which is not my favorite thing but uh we'll talk about it i mean in a nutshell this is coming out of an arc and all that really matters is buffy's like life sucks Giles' life sucks. Everyone's life sucks. And, yeah, the Scooby gang gets a chance to live cheaply in a house that is apparently haunted if they can only exercise the demon that's in there. And they go in there and they get everything they ever wanted, and that sucks. So, um, yeah, I mean, uh, the the post-TV Buffy seasons, I've been getting them and sort of drifting in and out of them because some have worked better than than others for me. Buffy season 8 Ugh. started strong and sort of just crawled up its own asshole and decided to reference Twilight and just seemed to go on forever and ever and ever. Um so with Buffy season 9 I I went in and out. I read most of the first arc of of season 10 and really have been enjoying Angel and Faith overall for the last couple of years more than the main title. Um this one kind of hooked me in because it was a one and done which hasn't been happening a whole lot. But this one was really reminiscent of that, and spoilers are going to abound from here on out, from that season six episode where Buffy was in an insane asylum, or oh. at least she thought she was, and you know, it had her family, and do you remember the name of the episode, anybody? No. Yeah, well. If only we had a device that connected to the internet that no. could pull up a website. Yeah, unfortunately, we're using it to tape the show. Yeah. So, <laughs> Plus, it's a, an Apple product, and I don't know how to operate those. <laughs> but, um, so yeah, I mean, it, it was an interesting comp set. It's basically everybody goes back to high school and, and has the perfect life and can see through it in one form or another. But, yeah, particularly for... For Buffy, we saw that in that particular episode. How other people reacted was kind of interesting. Um, I, I liked that of everybody, Xander was the one to see through everything. Yeah, that was a nice change. Because yeah, it's like, and we talked about it before the show, it's Xander is so fucking beaten by life. <laughs> Terrible family. He, he pines after Buffy and never gets her and pines after Anya and that falls apart and she dies. And here's he's fucking Dawn, but that relationship's gone down the shitter. Of course, 
it, it I like that Xander's life is so terrible. Hey, everything's good for you. It's like, yeah, no, this is bullshit. This can't possibly be right. <laughs> I would have had the same reaction though. Wait, mom, dad, you're not fighting and nobody's drinking? Yeah, this yeah. is fake. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean it, it, it was weird in that Buffy got the most of it, Xander got the most of it, Giles got the most. It, it felt kind of glossed over with Willow just sort of, oh, I'm here and, and it doesn't feel right and she can just sort of see through it. Um, I'm not sure that particular piece worked for me and it relied so, that moment relied so heavily on, uh, no, you're gay, you're extremely gay. It's, uh, yeah, okay. It's, yeah. It felt a little bit forced there. Um, I thought it was interesting and kind of telling of everybody in this issue. The one who really didn't see through it at all was Giles. Right. Now, Trebuchet, I know <laughs> it was funny watching you read this book because you haven't really. Have you read any of the Buffy stuff after the I, TV I, show? I read, I read a couple of the issues back, you know, Frey and, and a couple of those when it first came out. I have not kept up with it at all. Uh, first page. Who, who the fuck is this guy? Yeah. That's <laughs> uh, Giles. Okay, why is he eight? <laughs> it yeah. is, I got nothing. I got because nothing reasons. going into this. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, that, that's that's all that mattered for this one. But yeah, it was it was like watching a dog look at a card trick. <laughs> Who the hell? What? What? Son of a! <laughs> what the hell is this? There's no peanut butter involved. Oh. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the whole Giles resurrection it has been one of the the more entertaining pieces of the last couple of you know air quotes seasons of of Buffy and Angel and Faith. You know, bringing him back. Um, it's and we've seen him having a hard time with it. Uh, over, it was sort of the end of last season when it started. Um, but uh, yeah, most of his struggles have been faced on uh, on kind of hormonal. In this one, it's a very concrete. Uh, they won't let me have my money, and yeah, you know, because nobody believes I'm a middle aged man and librarian. Yeah. The word you want is librarian. Librarians can be men. For, what are you saying about librarians? You're just going to geld an entire population? Wait, wait. When, when does Noah Wiley show up in this shit? I didn't see that. Oh whole whole different thing. Oh, okay. But He's busy fighting aliens right now. <laughs> in his Batman voice. <laughs> You're welcome. I derailed that one completely. Yeah, that's all right. Sometimes it needs it. But, but uh, yeah, th- this sort of set up a real overriding despair in Giles that I, I kind of want to see more of not that i want to see giles in in pain but yeah the the overall thing in this is he doesn't want to to see the world as it really is because he never got a childhood and i'm not sure in the show or in the comics if we've really seen how watchers actually come to be I believe we have sort of i do recall and i'm not i can't remember if it was in the book or in the show um I do seem to recall he became he started the training at a very early age. Yeah, his uh, there was some references to it in uh the Angel and Faith comic book. Mm-hmm. Uh he's he's shipped off to the Watcher Academy the second right. he shows any kind of aptitude yes towards magic. Um I think also th- there's some stuff in Angel with um Wesley where they talk about the academy and coming out of that whole thing. Um, but yeah, it's when he, when he was a a kid in the Angel and Faith series, his aunts would try to, that was the only time he ever had any fun. (laughs) Okay. Because otherwise it was all driven towards, you're a watcher and this is what you do. Right. Yeah. See, and I kind of want to see 
even more of that because it sounds like a very Judge Dredd existence. It's, uh, oh, you passed a test at four, you're in the academy now. And it, it becomes your whole life. Yeah. And it's, uh, yeah, th- taking a step back to think about it, it's really destroyed his entire life. Yeah, he had no childhood. He's stuck with Buffy, who wouldn't grow up forever. Clearly, he wanted to pursue his singing talents, which never went anywhere. And then he's fucking dead. Well, and, they, and now he's a child again, but still trying to act like they a parental at, figure for these. these as, as a teenager, though, in Buffy the series, they hinted at he he had some some dark times where he did rebel. Ripper. Right. Yeah, and I believe yeah. that it continues to be alluded to a little bit in the Angel and Faith series. Yeah. Yep. And uh, it's it, okay, and I want to see him doing that again. Although here he's like. 12 and they made it clear in this issue yeah we can't mess with your age anymore or you'll, you'll die <laughs> although i don't think that they've gotten into whether or not he's going to continue to age will he stay 12 forever or will he now re-age normally yeah it's another thing like doctor who it's magic you can do whatever you want you can make him 17 because yeah now that you mention it i always did want to see that ripper series they promised on yeah. bbc you know yeah 17 18 year old that would have been the Constantine series I think we all really wanted, as opposed <laughs> to the one that, based we're on getting. the pilot, it looks like we're getting. But, but yeah, it's uh, making Giles a big part of this. Uh, I I kind of want to see it go in that direction, and this issue well, makes it looks like look like we could see a big arc of him trying to deal with it, and maybe yeah, maybe lashing out and going I full rogue. Wonder if they're setting up a situation where Buffy has to mature. Because she's going to have to take care of little Giles. Yeah, and there was a certain amount of immaturity here with, you know, uh, my roommates suck and I'm just going to, <laughs> going to leave. Yeah. I mean, she is in San Francisco. Of course, based well, on what I saw on Twitter this morning, property values are down, kids. But, <laughs> but everybody in this book, this uh, spoilers, the whole conceit of this book was to give them an excuse to all move back into one house together again. Yeah, and that sort of feels like another step back. On one hand, I'm okay with it because yeah, those were some of the best episodes. <laughs> you know, particularly season seven, season six was an ex- exercise in how dark do you want it, kids. Well, and it also brings up the uh, the interesting idea that you know part of why. Um, well, as you said, it gives them an excuse to all move in the same house. And for that to happen, Dawn and Xander had to be leaving their apartment. So right. they're moving out. They were each going to move into their own place. Now they're going to move in and deal with all of these emotions with several other people in one house. Because that's going to work out that's, well. Yeah. <laughs> it's Yeah. And now that I think about it, <laughs> the whole, while I liked the issue, there were a lot of things that felt like, step back steps back and stock you know, Buffy going back and her family's alive and everybody loves each other Spike confronting his mom we've seen that before and frankly the whole trope of we need you to spend the night in a haunted house that's at least as old as Scooby Doo Zoinks! yeah it's like Joss Whedon made a whole movie out of that yeah <laughs> <laughs> it could almost be as old as Hawthorne for Christ's sake <laughs> So, I mean, it was, you know, and just sort of as a trope to get them, yep, let's get this demon jizz on you. Now you're with your parents and back in high school. Uh, that felt a little bit lazy, you know, as a way to get into, like I said, the over 
overarching arc it looks like they may be going toward is what you want versus what you get and the the danger of getting what you want um so this is the uh, the arc that we need not what we deserve I oh no which oh, there was already a uh wasn't one of the angel and faith arcs last season called what you want not what you need yeah 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 <laughs> it's it, it's one of those things in in everybody's head these are all still teenagers and even though they age them you know the difference between 24 and 17 is only what you can get arrested for so and yeah, all right. So the haircut, yeah, art-wise, yeah. I like Carl Moline's stuff, but yeah, there there were places in this, and I don't know if Richards and Moline, if one person did breakdowns and somebody else did finished pencils, or I really get the sense by seeing some stuff, certain panels were by one artist, certain panels were by another. Uh, Pixie sticks. You, there was something yeah. that. Yeah, she. You know, page one, she looks like Buffy. Page two. She looks familiar, but she doesn't look quite like Buffy. Yeah, it, it helps know? that she's wearing the same sweater. It's like turning yeah. the page, and, and <laughs> right? Turning the page and waking up, going, "What the hell? Yeah. Did, this isn't what I went to sleep with. I gotta quit drinking." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's the hazard. I, I hate when there are two artists on a single book, and sometimes it has to happen in order to meet a deadline. Uh, I'd rather have the book, yeah, unless it's some event or something big like Dark Knight Returns or Watchmen I, I'd rather have things pushed that even in those cases yeah there, there were issues that were late and it's better that they're late than to you have to jar in between two different I feel like they gave her a radically different haircut so that she would be differentiated from when she's teenage Buffy yeah that makes sense because yeah everybody looked different and Sander got his eye back and well that's but that's later in the book that's a third haircut. Mm. Oh, Jesus. That's because okay. they go back to long hair. Yep. So, it, yeah. It was weird for me. Like I said, I I haven't kept up with any of this. I'm not familiar with either, either of the artists in this, but like every once in a while, you get a panel that just looks like it came out of an Archie book. Yeah. You know, it's <laughs> big wide eyes with exclamation points over their head. Okay. <laughs> Where's the Garfield strip? Yeah. Well, with some of the stuff going on in Afterlife with Archie, I wouldn't mind seeing Buffy <laughs> in it, but that's Francesco Francavia. That don't look like Archie. I would like to see a Francavia Buffy. <laughs> I would like that. All right. Well, <laughs> you follow him on Twitter. Let him know. All right. Do a commission. He'll at least do a one-off for you. That's true. Cost you a grand. But, <laughs> but and one of the interesting things to me in the, in this issue was almost the matter-of-fact way. It's, okay, yep. Got to chop my parents apart. <laughs> and everybody had to do that. That's a pretty fucking dark way to go, as as a matter of fact. I'm going back to my real family. Yeah, <laughs> by murdering the ones that that, that I want to see so desperately. Uh, that was wicked dark and seemed kind of matter of fact. Yeah, even in... I'm trying to remember the conclusion of the episode where she was in the insane asylum. She didn't have to kill her family. She just made the decision to fade away and kill the vampires right i think so but if uh, you got the impression at the end of of the asylum episode that it was left in the air maybe she is crazy yeah but to make the decision to go out didn't require some horrible act of she didn't have to shiver mom in the kidneys no no and i i can see where it it does seem strange because you know she was close with her mom and clearly misses her her father on the other hand um the last couple of uh books 
she clearly is upset with him. I don't even remember him being in the picture he, or in he earlier wasn't. canon. And then all of a sudden he's shown up and, uh, you know, they have to keep him from... There's somebody they have to keep him from talking to on the phone, perhaps Dawn. But clearly she she does not like her father and is upset and angry. So I think she'd have no problem taking him yeah, out. Yeah, I think the only time we saw the father was in that episode where she was in the insane asylum. Yeah, because it was a nod toward the movie. Right. Because in the he does exist in the movie. I still miss Pike. <laughs> and now you have Xander. Live with it. <laughs> uh, yeah, by the time they get done with these comic books, Xander better end up with Buffy. Nobody has ever said I miss Pike. Like, ever. Well, I did now. I, I'm I just feel like somewhere Luke Perry just, like, felt good about himself and he couldn't figure out why. That's right. <laughs> he straightened his shirt and said, I'm going to go stand on the street corner and shake my styrofoam cup full of change and be the best Luke I can be. <laughs> I do know they've alluded to Riley coming back, and I'm not looking forward to that. Well, nobody no. looks forward to Riley. Of any of the seasons of Buffy, season four, I, is, I think, is the only one I haven't seen all of. Yeah, that was not a good season. That's when, when Marty Noxon more or less had her, her way with things because Whedon was busy getting Angel up and running. Yeah. So that was not one of the better seasons. <laughs> oh, well. From the woman who brings you Point Pleasant briefly. <laughs> you watched that show. <laughs> I did. On the internet, like God intended, yeah. for free. <laughs> All right. All right, so let's talk about the other one. This is the big book of, big book of the week. I can already see... Trebuchet's eyes melting. <laughs> did anyone get through Multiversity 1 all the way through besides me? I did. I did. Okay. That's yeah, like... And yet Pixie 6 is decidedly not saying anything. I, I did not. I got three quarters of the way through, and I just could not continue to power through it. It was like 15, 20 minutes was, of my life. I'm never getting back. Yeah. I, <laughs> after the first two pages, I was like, oh, this is going to, this is really going to be difficult, and... Yeah, now this is a room full of people where I'm the only unabashed superhero fan in it, and it was it was a dicey choice to talk about because of that. But uh, this was kind of the book of the week, and that Morrison's been working on it on and off for years, and you know finally it's coming to fruition. Um, so yeah, this is <laughs> the most years. He, he, so he wrote it in sections. I don't like, know if he wrote it in sections. One on meth, another one on you know heroin, another acid, on coke. mostly acid. You show Grant Morrison some respect. He's a psychedelics man, and if you don't recognize <laughs> that from the writing, I don't know what to do with you. But no, it's uh, I forget when it was first announced. I want to say it was pre New Fifty Two. It was. So uh, this has been kicking around for for quite a while. But so yeah, this is obviously been said, written by Grant Morrison, art by Ivan Rice. Um, this amounts to. It comes from out of nowhere. There's nothing you can really say leading into it. Uh, it's basically, it's a crisis book. Uh, it's another type of crisis on infinite Earths. Um, we see Harbinger in it from Crisis on Infinite Earths. Have, have either of you guys read Crisis on Infinite Earths? Nope. No. Yeah. it's. I liked seeing Harbinger. She was my favorite part of this book. Okay. <laughs> God, that's so sad. <laughs> wow. But, uh, and they reduced her to AI. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's clearly he's going for a crisis vibe. Heroes from multiple Earths coming together to fight some ephemeral, we're not entirely sure yet, threat to the multiverse. Um, there are a lot of pages in this. This was an extended issue. I don't think it had to be. There are a lot of pages here with just 
Morrison speak in it. You know, a ship that is music that is powered by freeform jazz. Jump. Is that why they started with like a black Superman? Because if it was a white Superman, he wouldn't have been able to fly the ship. No, oh, it was the God. whole thing about <laughs> the reader being that. You know, it's this <laughs> you choose adventure thing that I was just like, okay, so the reader gets absorbed into the story. Yeah, um, this show's going to be canceled. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, that was another Morrison trope where he you know breaks the fourth wall and talks directly to the reader, and certain characters seem to see the reader and yeah you know, yeah just jump cuts into the middle of action with no explanation like the battle between that was the uh mr fantastic analog and the dr doom analog major comics or something like that yeah, yeah. and yeah frank future and lord havoc which were yeah. clearly and yeah then drop in the middle of oh it's the avengers clearly the crusader who's supposed to be captain america um so it's if you're a morrison fan it's full of Morrison stuff. Hmm. Um, it's the kind of wacky stuff, though, that Morrison used to have to work up to. So, so we were talking about this with um, the guy who is the owner of our local comic book store. And he's like, it reminded me a lot of Animal Man, you know, when they broke the fourth wall. Like, he worked up to that. Yeah, that took 18 <laughs> issues before we really got the sense that... <laughs> yeah, and now he just feels like, I'm going to open with this. <laughs> yeah, it just clear statements to the reader and, no, put this down, you're affecting what's happening. Um, like, even when he was doing, um, was it uh, The in- Invisibles? Yeah. Like, there was wacky stuff, but he at least worked up to it. So you didn't have a sense the entire time that it was just always on acid. Oh, he's always on acid. No, but like with the book, like it, at least you, there were there were wacky moments and moments that made you question things and layers on layers, but he worked up to it. Yeah, and, and this definitely drops yeah. straight into... As soon as I got to page two and there were the little, the little uh, page icons mm. in the text bubbles, I was like, what is it? This is a book. There's no, like, this isn't a PDF link I can download magically with my finger. I'm not sure what's happening here. Yeah. It was totally unclear what that. It's a book within a book. Meta again. (laughs) Yeah, the entire thing is totally meta, and it's totally meta. And it's with Morrison, you have to sort of just strap in and go for the ride, and it, it doesn't always work. Yeah, we we've discussed on the show repeatedly his Batman run is not my favorite. I'm in the minority on that one. Um The Invisibles, I always take new stuff out of it, but that's that's a mind fuck along the lines of this. He can be mainstream if he wants to, even with his Morrison esque stuff. His JLA run is very straightforward for Morrison. Even there, it's there's times we jump into a battle that we have no idea where it came from or, or why it started and we certainly see that in this. This issue felt as much like an indictment of readers and particularly internet commentators as I've seen. Well, there, there was stuff in there, though, about, like, you know, aren't you a little old to be reading a comic book? And Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and the the one-eyed creatures, the gentry, are just so clearly, to me, internet commentators. I mean... The, the names Hell Machine and Lord Broken and Demo Gorgon, which well, is misspelled. Those are bulletin board handles if I ever fucking read them. This this kid who um, sort of becomes one with the book and 
ends up being the big bad at the end of it, where he's, I'm going to judge you, I'm, I'm the judger of worlds. Um, he opens up as an internet uh, blogger about comic books. I'm going to vivisect this book. Ugh. Yeah, but, <laughs> yeah, but even that's a little ambiguous, because, yeah, he's reading it, but the character seems to be a different character, but it might be him, so he might have fallen into the book. It just, Grant Morrison, man, that's <laughs> just the kind of stuff that you get. And, yeah, to the the fourth wall of Lord Havoc's going insane, looking out of the panel, going, I saw their faces. Clearly he's talking about readership. And, and God, he saw you. No wonder he's crazy. Well, <laughs> I think he saw Trebuchet, frankly, but he's not whimpering and throwing up. So maybe it was me. There but. was a moment where, yeah, it's like, you know, don't read the end of this book. I immediately, like, skipped to the end. <laughs> I was like, why? Oh, okay. Now I know who the big bad is. All right, back to, at least now I know what I'm working towards. Yeah. And, <laughs> and Morrison's always good with structuring stuff that way. When he throws something in, it will tell you something about it in general. But, yeah, it's a weird thing to read a book. Yeah, and yeah, the, the gentry demanding, you know, oh, heroes will be brought down to our level, which is just sort of a... Almost a straight dig at the darkening that happened with the New 52. Yeah. You know, to be the bad guy in a book that's destroying the universe, that's a little weird. <laughs> but at the same time, there's enough pastiches here. And I'm a, I'm a sucker for a story that comments about comic books using pastiches from other ones. You know, I love Planetary. You know, I love Warren Ellis' Stormwatch. So that part of it worked for me. It, yeah, I liked seeing the... Fantastic Four analogs and the Avengers analogs, and if he continues to do it with other stuff, yeah, you might see your Archie there, Trebuchet. I liked Captain Carrot. It's fun to see yeah. Captain Carrot, fun to see cartoon logic, but even that's a return to something else Morrison did with the Coyote Gospel yeah. in uh, in Animal Man, where, but see, I've I've got these years of history reading these kind of books and Morrison's kind of stuff. I mean... Trebuchet, what did you take from it? Again, you're looking at it. You're looking at the issue like a dog looking at a card trick. I I get it. Like, what he's shooting for. It just... Uh, yeah. <laughs> so... It, you know, I, I, I see it, I get it. I just, I don't... So this is not going to... care. So this is not going to be the book to get you excited about superhero comics. No. No. <laughs> no. I am thinking about trying L- uh, LSD, though, now. So. Yeah, it's it's really more an argument for drugs <laughs> than it is for capes and cowls. Yeah, I mean, yeah. as somebody who's read all the Crisis books, I mean, this is definitely more Crisis-like than yeah. Infinite Crisis or Final Crisis. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, uh, which is sad because Morrison wrote Final Crisis, and this is not an official crisis. But as somebody who read those, I, I get what he's going for, and I have a certain appreciation for it. But, yeah, this is not for non-superhero comic readers. It was it was a risk bringing it to the table on this show. Honestly, when I got to the page about halfway through that is a like an additional cover page inside, and my immediate thought was, oh, God, is, <laughs> what is, is this like some sort of trade within a you know why is there another cover page in here it won't end how much more of there is this <laughs> we're down the rabbit hole people just put the blotter on your tongue and ride with it to nuke the site from orbit it's the only way i was to be also sure. confused by the death star that was <laughs> on that page. I... yeah 
So, yeah, I guess that's just going to be the the final word on it. If you're a big superhero comic fan and you like Grant Morrison and you can deal with his storytelling method, there's something here to at least be intriguing. But otherwise... Yeah, you really need to be familiar with the, the breadth of... Um, characters that are out there. I mean, some of these things are, you know, when you start crossing the multiverses, some of the characters are, are pretty obvious that there are variations on or analogs for other uh, heroes, you know, the female Aquaman or right. this guy, I forget what he's called, but he's obviously the Flash. Yeah. Uh, the baby who, I mean, turns into a giant blue baby that smashes things. Okay, no, that's, that's uh, supposed to be a Bruce, there's a Bruce Banner right, analog. That's, that's, yes, right, that's, right that's the that. blue giant blue baby right. guy. But, Behemoth Bash. But there's a lot of them. I mean, uh, and I mean a lot of them that are referenced in here that I just have no idea who the hell they are supposed to be. You know? Well, I mean, Captain Carrot's his own animal. and Oh, no, no. Six-foot yeah. rabbits, I can get behind. Yeah. I mean, you know, Usagi Ojimbo right here. But, well, and, you know. And that's the thing with, with Morrison, who has constantly, particularly in Batman, referenced Silver Age stuff. When the original Crisis on Infinite Earths happened with Animal Man, he was the first one to have a character comment on the crisis itself and intimate, oh no, all that stuff still happened because he still wanted access to it. This is a guy who's been reading comic books and internalizing them since at least the 60s. We will probably get, you know, the way we do with Alan Moore in uh, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, uh, yeah, references to British comic characters and obscure Charlton comics or, yeah. you know, a variety of, you know, God knows in the 80s there was a million small presses with a million small comic books. We could see stuff that you just don't sort of recognize that other people will take from it because, yeah, that's just sort of the way he operates is brings all this stuff in and some of it is just going to go over your head. I don't see any Wonder Twins. Give it time. <laughs> Give it time. And... Do you really want Wonder Twins? <laughs> Nobody really wants the Wonder Twins. I, I was an '80s child. I well, I don't see Justice League Three Thousand had references to the Wonder Twins. So Wendy and Marvin, they're not there either. I... No, Wendy and Marvin we saw in Outsiders a few years ago. See, these That's things right. always come back right. if you really want them. I'm not sure I do. I don't but... know. I, and it, this might be the Hangover speaking. But oh, the Hangover's been speaking for you all morning. <laughs> but hey, pl please feel free. I feel about this book kinda like I feel about the Paul McGann uh, Doctor Who movie. I would rather watch the monkey's head. It was easier to follow, <laughs> and I I believed it more. <laughs> all right, so <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I, I guess the and it's a weird thing with Morrison comics. It's they're almost self fulfilling prophecies. If you like Morrison. There's stuff there for you. If you don't, it is a bound brick of paper with some colors and that hurts your head. Yeah. So <laughs> there's a reason I put this on my polls. I will continue to read it. <laughs> we may not speak of it again on the show since uh, I'm the only one who, who clearly took anything from it. And I tend to I'm skeptical of Morrison. I'm not a fanboy. Some stuff I really like. Some stuff, you know, Sea Guy. I can go the rest of my life without ever reading. <laughs> ever again um the, there's a variety of stuff that he just crawls up his own ass too much for me the filth the filth yeah i went through all 12 issues of the filth yeah no i i might be the only one no i i did too 
Yeah. And this one, there's enough going on in my wheelhouse. Like I said, I'm a sucker for comics about comics using pastiches to not just deal with the universe they're in, but comics as a whole. I think there's going to be stuff here that I like. But yeah, we're we're going to have to see and maybe I'll just do reviews for the main website. <laughs> I might read again. the next one, but part of the issue I think with this is yeah, it feels like he's he's trying to indict certain commenters on about comic books. Um and there's a lot of stuff in there that feels like I'm so clever, look at all this stuff I know. Yeah, and it it could get old fast, you know. Final Crisis didn't do a whole lot for me and it didn't, Morrison really tries to show what he knows, and it's part of why I didn't like the Batman arc. All these obscure 60s stories, bringing them back to the forefront. And we've talked about this ad infinitum. The 60s are not my Batman. I don't care about those stories. I don't like those stories. So, yeah, if he goes way up his own ass here with a bunch of ephemera, it it might lose me. So far, it hasn't. So far, I'm I'm okay with it. Although, yeah, being one of the the gentry and one of the worst people in this comic universe, I'm not sure I'm thrilled with. But it it just feels a little like if you can't follow this and you don't like it, then you're you're not a comic book fan. Like it, it feels like he's calling people out. And it's possible. I can see why you're saying that. I didn't feel called out because I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> Screw you, Grant Morrison. <laughs> Got to make me care before you can make me guilty. <laughs> yeah. Feel guilty. All right. Oh God, I care about something. No, you don't. Okay. That where that tingle Phew. is. <laughs> All right. <I'm> worried. <laughs> so, yeah, I guess. <laughs> Jesus, we we really did come full circle. We started with Doctor Who uh, that I like, but uh, I don't care enough to get into the continuity, and ended with something that's all continuity that I'm the only one that cares about. <laughs> Might as well wrap it up here. So, uh, yeah. Uh, so you can find us uh, on crisisoninfinitemidlives.com if you liked what you heard. You, you could, uh, that, that, <laughs> that, that assumes at your mental hospital they'll allow you internet access. But, but yeah, our home site is crisisoninfinitemidlives.com. <laughs> I'm hungover, too. Um <laughs> Yeah, you can find us on iTunes. You can email us at uh, crisisoninfinitemidlives at gmail.com. What is our Twitter handle? You'd think at I'd remember. Infinite Midlife. At Infinite Midlife. Um, yeah, we are proud members of the Comics Podcast Network. Um, and on any of these things, yeah, if you heard the show and you liked it, you know, do us a favor. Give us a rating. Leave us a review. I think particularly today it is patently obvious we're just shooting from the hip and making this up as we go. Might not want to review today's episode. Yeah. Listen to some other ones. Or just judge us. It's fine. Just just judge us. Uh, I'm judging us all right now. Judgy McJudger. Uh, like the guy at the end of Multiversity. <laughs> this the show is not bad. <laughs> I think we've learned don't don't do it hungover. I Everyone, do everything hungover. Yeah, well, all right. Are less, you judging me? Less hungover later <laughs> in the day. All right. Let's stick a pig. Let's <laughs> stick a pin in this pig. Okay. This has been episode thirty-one of the Crisis on Infinite Midlife show. Thanks for listening. I'm Rob. I'm Amanda. And uh, thanks to uh, Trebuchet and Pixie Sticks for for guesting this week. We sincerely apologize. <laughs> I am so out of here. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening. And girl.
it, it's irresponsible for me to have a beer before we actually get in the car and leave. I think you need it? to have two. No. I think I need to have ten. 